Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For today's podcast, I interviewed Howard Kogan. He is the CEO at WordStream, one of the fastest growing companies in the Boston area. WordStream is a venture-backed SaaS company and a thought leader in the world of pay-per-click marketing. They develop online advertising software and provide managed services to help businesses and agencies grow through paid search and paid social. Howard is an expert at growing and scaling companies as an executive. His track record really speaks for itself. The last two companies he was a part of, that being Communispace and Molecular, were both acquired. In this episode, we cover lots of topics. We talk about the journey through his career, building the foundation to allow your company to scale, when you should hire a COO, what companies might be thinking about when it comes to an acquisition, and a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Anytime someone asks me which companies are buzzing in the Boston tech scene, I always direct them to our biz pages. It's a way to do a virtual tour of over 200 of the fastest growing companies in the area, including WordStream. Each biz page is going to tell you about the company, its product or service, job openings, culture, team, and so much more. So don't delay. Head on over to venturefizz.com backslash biz pages to check them out. Okay, well, further ado, here's my interview with Howard. All right. Well, I like to just dive right into people's backgrounds. It's something that I'm definitely fascinated about. So where'd you grow up and um, you know, what'd your parents even do for work? I grew up just outside of Albany, New York, upstate New York, in a town called Colony. And my mom and dad were both state workers. Uh, dad worked for the attorney general in New York State a long, long time ago, back in the 70s and 80s, a guy named Louis Lefkowitz, very... Uh, famous in the political circles at the time. My mom worked for the Department of Education in New York State. And then what led you down the path of studying computer science and mathematics at Binghamton? You know, uh, dad tells these stories of dragging me to computer science lab on a Saturday morning before my soccer games when I was in middle school and high school. I just always had a affinity for it. I really liked the logic of it. And so always did computer science and then went down a Binghamton, a state school in New York. It was super affordable, $750 a semester of tuition at the time. Wow. And uh, Things have changed, was, haven't they? <laughs> I was a math and computer science major. So, what was your first computer? Uh, I don't even know the answer to that question. You know, I listen to these stories or people remember exactly what model they had and when they yeah. got it. Yeah. I don't have that kind of memory. I can't remember, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was certainly old fashioned, whatever it was. That's right. Now, mine was a Texas Instruments computer going way back. But uh, so then you started your career at GTE. So what uh, types of things did you work on at GTE? Yeah, GTE was an incredible place to start my career. GTE was an old phone company, a telecommunications company, later got acquired as part of Verizon. But I worked in the division that built communication systems for the government. So I started my career building classified communication systems for the Air Force and the National Security Agency. It was custom hardware that we were building right there in our labs and custom software. It was all incredibly, incredibly educational for me. Worked with these people who were super professional. And I learned so much that I've used all through my career and continue to today. Because even big, old, bureaucratic companies like that uh, knew a lot of things and had learned a lot of things about how to build professional software and run a professional environment and do customer service and client care. And all those lessons have really served me well over the years. So th was that like a good foundation as far as, um, 
you know, that they were operating at such a massive scale of how to like, you know, operations. And did you start like writing code and then work your way up the ranks of managing, you know, like project management and into other functions from, from that point? Yeah, I, I started writing software and literally within two years of writing software, I was pretty good at it. I later came out to later came to find out in my career that I wasn't that great at it, but I was pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and they made a mistake, which I didn't recognize at the time was a mistake. But years later, I see the folly of what happened because I was really good at writing software and I really knew this particular part of the system really well. They put me in charge of a particular part of the system. And uh, this was a classified system that was built for the Air Force that was deployed out in Cheyenne Mountain, an Air Force base inside of a mountain in Colorado Springs. Mm. And they put me in charge of a subsystem of it and put me in charge of people. Uh, so I very early got exposed to management and product project management and customer service. Uh, and I was, I was particularly bad at all those things because I wasn't prepared for it. I had no training. Right. But what a great learning ground. And what brought you to, well, I guess at the time they were called T-Visions, right? Like I remember, you know, before Molecular rebranded, they were T-Visions. And uh, you know, what led you to that company? Yeah, I, I spent about six or seven years at GTE and I started getting the itch to do something different. And T-Visions at the time, later Molecular, was run by a guy named Ralph Foles. He had started the company founder and CEO along with Tom Little, his co-founder. And they were just a handful of people and they were building what today we might call a digital agency. Uh, back then we called it a web company long before people knew what the web really even was. This was in the mid nineties. And a friend told me, Hey, if you're looking around for a new gig, you ought to talk to Ralph. I did. He brought me on at the end of 96 to run his engineering team. And it was incredible. So I went from building these high-speed cryptographs for the National Security Agency to building mortgage interest calculators for Fidelity.com or building an online presence for Staples, you know, things like that, that were very rudimentary at the time, uh, looking backwards, and certainly a strange step backward from a computing standpoint, but a huge step forward in terms of being an entrepreneur, helping to build a business. Uh, it was incredible. What a great experience. Because these were like first generation websites for companies like Fidelity and Staples, right? First generation. We were doing crazy things back then. You know, we were we were writing, we were taking documents for Fidelity, uh, mutual fund prospectus, and we were taking hard copy and we were hand coding it into HTML to put it online as a document. You know, we were uh, we were we built our own content management system. We built our own analytics statistics packages, and we built what could have become billion-dollar companies on their own. Uh, we weren't probably smart enough to figure that out when we were in the middle of it, but we were creating everything. It didn't exist back then. It was a, it was a crazy time. And one of the, the fun facts I like about Molecular, uh, I think it was last year or maybe two years ago, we did a, um, a spider web of all the alumni from Molecular and what people have gone off to do. and. Uh, there was a project that I think Molecular was working on for the New England Patriots where they were the first ones to stream a daily video show online. That's right. That's right. That was back in uh, 97 or 98. We called it Cyber Sideline, and we created the first streaming video for a sports team. We would go down to the time they were doing their 
summer training camps down in Smithfield, Rhode Island at Bryant College. Mm-hmm. We'd go down and shoot video all afternoon. We'd come back, quickly edit it down into a 10 or 15 minute uh, video broadcast, and we put it online at night. Huge, huge hit. That is unbelievable, though, if you think 1997. I'm such a historian. Like, that's a common theme for a lot of these conversations. I just go deep into the history of technology just because I, I find it fascinating. So then at that time, obviously you and Ralph and others built a company, right? And you scaled and, and grew to critical mass. Like what was the height as far as employee headcount? We probably got close to 200 people at the height. You know, we had a tale that's not different from a lot of other companies. We really rode the internet boom in the late 90s. Uh, we, uh, the company was bootstrapped for most of that time for many years. We did raise some money back from CMGI's venture fund called At Ventures back in 2001, literally as the market was falling apart in 2000, excuse me. And that allowed us to survive through the down years uh, after the internet bubble burst. And we recast the company. You know, We had been this amazing company that could build websites, pretty technologically advanced websites. But when the economy um, shattered, a lot of big companies hired those people directly into their company. They didn't need outside agencies to do that anymore. So we recast it and we started doing digital strategy and user experience and rebuilt that company up into something really impressive. And eventually we sold that in 2005. And that acquisition by was by Isobar, right? That's right. We were acquired by Isobar, which is the digital arm of what was then called Aegis. Aegis was a global media holding company. So if you're familiar with Omnicom or WPP, it's a company like that, was based in London, is now part of the Dentsu network globally. So you stayed on for another five years and then ultimately made the switch over to Communispace and worked with Diane Hessen? I did. I had the great pleasure of being introduced to Diane and spent a few months getting to know her. And then she brought me on the team at Communispace. Uh, She's an incredible leader and it built a really incredible company as well. What was the stage of Communispace when you joined and then obviously take us through that you know, progression? I joined Communispace and it was probably around a $40 million company, a couple hundred employees. And I joined and spent the first few years running our product and technology organization. Communispace is a technology-enabled services business or was at the time. So we had our own proprietary technology platform and we used it to make the voice of the customer as prevalent as any other utility that a business relies upon. So we used to talk about, you know, you come in and you turn on the lights in the morning and you turn on the voice of the customer. And these were pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. You know, these were a different time where having access to your customers and their voice was not something that was easily done. And we did that and we did it at scale for the biggest brands in the world. And I spent the first few years revamping our product and technology organization, going through a big scaling shift. Uh, What had worked well for the first few years uh, wasn't what they needed for the next few years, so I helped transform that. And then I spent the next few years running our business in the Americas, which was about a $75 million business. We had uh, 100 uh, large multinational clients. And uh, at the time, along the way, we rebranded the company, we evolved, our product market fit changed. We rolled out new products. It was all, again, a fantastic experience. And and again, you know, common theme here is uh, another acquisition, right? So Omnicon, 
ultimately acquired C-Space? Omnicom acquired C-Space. And as it turns out, that actually was very early on in my tenure. Before I okay. even started, uh, that pro there was an idea of going through that process that Diane and I had talked about. And so when I joined the business, uh, fairly soon thereafter, I was immersed with the rest of the executive team and uh, doing a whole bunch of management presentations for outside suitors, potential acquirers. It was really a fantastic way both to get to know the business in a really detailed way and to bond with my peers on the executive team because it's a very intense, time-consuming, emotional process to go through. And I definitely want to dig deeper into your experience in terms of scaling operations and acquisitions, but let's fast forward to where you are today. So WordStream, what, what does WordStream do? WordStream helps small businesses grow and succeed. And we do that through helping them find new customers through online advertising, specifically advertising on Google and Facebook and Microsoft Bing. And you joined the company when it was, um, you know, there was obviously a, a product and you know, it was founded by Larry Kim many years ago, right? Uh, right when pay-per-click advertising was starting to take off. Uh, and then Ralph Foles, once again, you know, took leadership role and has helped scale the company. But you came in uh, how long ago now? It's been almost a year that I joined. Ralph joined. Ralph was on the board of the company back in 2010 or so. Mm -hmm. The board asked him to take over as CEO. And he ran the business for seven years, the subsequent seven years. And Ralph will describe himself very much as a, a creator, a builder of businesses. And so as the business grew and got to a bigger scale, he and the board decided that they wanted to bring in somebody else to help scale the business to the next phase. And so they went out and did a search and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to the opportunity and get to meet with all the investors and the executives and really excited about the opportunity to join a company that's super successful, growing fast, has big ambitions, great investors, a uh, great team. So it was uh, an easy decision for me to, to come over. It's also much more of a software business. So while my last business was a software enabled services business, uh, this is much more of a software business. We do have a little bit of service, but it's mostly a SaaS business. And so very close to home for me in terms of technology and product and scaling the business in that regard. And you joined the company as COO originally, but they recently announced you are now the CEO of the company. Was that expected kind of stepping in, learn the business and then eventually move into the CEO spot? Yeah, I joined the business a year ago as president. Uh, Sorry, when as president. I no, that's all right. When I joined, uh, the all the members of the executive team uh, came over to me to report to me and work with me on the daily running of the business. So while my title did change more recently, a few months ago, in terms of the operations of the business, it's really unchanged since I joined, where I've been working on strategy and execution across the business. And Ralph continues to help us with uh, external activities and some of our partnerships. Uh, but our roles really uh, shifted a year ago when I joined. Got it. What's the current state of the business as far as scale, number of employees, customers, or just to give our audience a, a sense of WordStream? Yeah, WordStream. Wow, such a great business. I'm so excited to be here. We've got about 230 or so employees. We've got thousands and thousands of customers, actually globally. Uh, so the majority of our customers are in North America, but we have a decent number of our customers who are 
in Australia and New Zealand or in the UK or in South Africa. So uh, thousands of customers, some of them are agencies. Some of them are small business owners themselves who directly use our product to help grow their business. And some of them are the agencies who serve those same small businesses uh, to help them grow through online advertising. And it's ultimately helping all types, right? You just mentioned you work with agencies that are probably helping larger companies, but also SMBs. Uh, so there's no real threshold of what your ad spend budget to use WordStream's platform, right? We are more focused on the SMB market. And so uh, we do service a wide range of customers, but we've really optimized our business. We've optimized the software, the experience, the algorithms, the feature set to be focused on that SMB owner or that SMB marketer who has unique needs. And by the way, we've really optimized our marketing and sales engine to be focused on that SMB market. How do you quickly acquire those customers? How do you make them profitable? And it is a very different business as everybody will know from servicing the enterprise customer. Now, some of our agencies will serve a variety of different customers, uh, but our strategy and focus is really in the SMB market. Got it. Okay. Well, let's talk about your experience scaling, growing companies. You have a track record of building out operations for companies that seem to be at that inflection point where it's, you know, they need leadership to help get to that next level. So, so what is it about you and your background that has allowed you to hit that stride with each company and help them scale? I really love operations. I love uh, starting with a customer and being customer inspired. I love listening and learning. And, and I think what happens in a lot of companies is it gets hard, particularly if you're a founder, uh, but even if you've been with a business for a while, you start to lose a little perspective and you just keep relying on the things that have made you successful to date. And it ends up slowing the business down. And I'm sure uh, you've heard that old saying, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I find that in a lot of companies. People continue to rely on the things that have made them successful to date. And you need to take a fresh look at things and reimagine what's going to drive success in the future. And I really love it. I love it. What advice would you give to founders to you know step outside that comfort zone? Because if they do start down a path that's working and it gets them to point B, but to get to point C or D, you do have to rethink. So like, what advice would you give to founders to kind of rethink their business? It's, it can be really hard. It obviously depends upon the personality of a founder. I know if you, if you, we talked about WordStream, we talked about Communispace, and we talked about Molecular. Now, I was not a founder of Molecular, but I was there very early on. And over the course of 10 years, uh, I suffered from a lot of those challenges. I became part of the problem. Everything that existed in the business, I had helped create. So it then was hard for me to have that perspective to see how to adapt and evolve. And some of that learning has really served me well as I have gone on into Communispace and later WordStream. So the advice is, first of all, you got to be open-minded. You've got to be open to challenge. You got to embrace it. But you got to bring in people who have other perspective and experiences. You bring in people every time you bring somebody in, it makes your business richer and stronger. And if you don't let them challenge and change, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So I think it's a lot of a lot of it is getting perspective uh, by people you bring into the business, uh, and 
always be pushing yourself outside, you know, whether it's part of a CEO group or whether it's part of industry forums, whatever you're doing, uh, you got to push yourself to be learning from others at all times. And how about building a foundation to allow a, a business to grow? Like what advice would you give in that category? Because I'm sure some companies struggle with different assets of their business, whether if it's, okay, you know, we hit, we hit, we hit product market fit. Now we got to, you know, ramp up sales. And then all of a sudden, wow, we got to ramp up customer success or, you know, marketing or operations, just HR finance. Like, so how do you build that foundation that allows a company to grow? Well, obviously some of that will depend upon the company. Some of that will depend upon the founder and exec team where their strengths lie. So there's no one playbook, no one formula that's going to work here. Uh, my advice would be, obviously you need to start with the customer and you need to understand the market you're trying to serve and what the customer's needs are and where they're satisfied with the options they have today and where they're not and where you think you have unique opportunity. That may drive you, it could be technologically intensive and it may drive you from a scale perspective to be very engineering focused. Or you may say, you know what, I think our product is good enough, it's really meeting a need, but our business can't scale financially. And maybe there's you know, a real emphasis that needs to go on growing market share. So hard to give a single answer for that. It's very situationally dependent. I will tell you that you know, the business I joined at WordStream, which is uh, actually gonna be 10 years old this year. So very much a startup feel, a high energy VC backed, a uh, company where everybody's got a stake in it, but also has a maturing product. You know, we don't have a brand new product. We've got a series of products. And so it's always about re-looking at, uh, do I need to scale in marketing and sales? Do I need to scare, scale in technology innovation? Um, that's some of the things that I'm doing here is actually reinvigorating our technology, reimagining the way we provide service. Um, there's always places you need to focus on to continue to scale your business. Now there's probably a, you know, this question probably, it depends on the company is probably the, the right answer, but in general practices, when would it make sense to bring in a strong operating leader, whether if it's a president, a COO, or like what, what stage of the company or what would be that tipping point where it would make sense to bring in someone that's more operational focused? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give the old, it depends consulting answer <laughs> a little bit on the nature of the CEO. You know, is she operationally focused or is, you know, maybe she's more marketing and sales and external focus that would have a factor and a little bit on the business. Is it operationally intensive or not? If it is, you know, that would certainly be bringing a reason, be a reason to bring in operational executive presence early. More generally, here's what the way I think about it. Uh, when very early stage, of course, the CEO founders got to be doing everything. You got to be in everything. You got to be customer focused. You got to understand every part of the business. You got to be out selling. Uh, so uh, you're kind of in everything. But at some point, when you're getting a little bit of critical mass and scale, the CEO's job starts to become even more focused on where are we headed. And the while well, the organization is spending every day thinking about what's happening right here and now in the first horizon, the CEO's job, part of their job is to be thinking about horizon two and horizon three. What are we gonna be doing 12 to 18 months from now? Where might we be two to three years from now? And if you find yourself as an executive with zero time to be thinking about any of that, yet your business is achieving a bit of scale, I think it's time to add some operational support, a number two who can help run the business for horizon one 
so you can focus a little bit on the future. Shifting gears towards the acquisitions that you've been a part of, like how do those actually happen? I always fascinated by you know a company that gets to the point where there's an interest from another company to acquire. Um, so what so what ends up happening? You've been through a couple of them. Um, you know, how do you gain interest in the potential sale of your company? Well, there's a few different ways that I've executed on that. So I'll give you a couple of uh, specific examples. Uh, several times in my career, we've identified a geographic expansion as a strategic priority for my business. And being part of a big holding company, it provides you the opportunity to scale geographically. And so we've identified potential targets in markets. So when I was part of Communispace, we wanted to enter the market in China. We had a lot of multinational companies who were very interested in the Chinese consumer. So we worked with our partners at Omnicom, identified a name, an agency in Shanghai that we thought would be an adjacency in terms of services and a fit geographically. And so that was very much about who they were and where they were. And we approached them in order to, we started with a joint venture, eventually an acquisition to try and do that. So then uh, that case was very much about uh, us targeting something in a geography. Uh, a different acquisition uh, that we did at Communispace, we acquired a great consulting business in London. And that business we acquired because we really wanted the service offering they had. And Diane had met one of the principals in that business at a conference. I subsequently was on a trip to London and I swung by their office and spent some time with the CEO and some of the principals in the business and really got to know each other. And we just built a relationship out of that and eventually uh, convinced them and they convinced us that together by joining up, we'd be much more powerful in the market offering both of the services we offered rather than fighting each other in the market. So it sounds like that seems to be a common theme for other, you know, people involved that I've talked to about, um, you know, the sale of a company, it starts off with a relationship that ultimately leads to maybe that type of end result that would be, you know, the strengths of the two would be a much greater whole. Yeah, definitely relationship. I'd say in most cases that I've been involved in, we've had some kind of thesis. It hasn't been totally reactive, um, but you know, we've had a thesis either about a geography or a technology that we think would benefit the company. And then uh, once you start looking in a certain direction, of course, you, stand, you tend to see things, you tend to meet people, you tend to have conversations through that lens and build relationships through that lens. But yeah, we definitely had a, a saying in my last company, relationships are the source of results. And that's that's true in all portions of the business, including M and A. That's a great. I love that statement. That's awesome. What about scaling for uh, growth around hiring? How do you go about that process, and how do you ensure that a company's core values or its culture remain intact as the company's scaling and hiring multiple employees? Um, there's an old saying I learned in a in a training many many years ago. It was actually a sales training. Uh, but applied much more generally to the business. And the saying was, uh, how you sell is a sample of how you solve. How you sell is a sample of how you solve. So when you're out in the market selling, uh, you better be your true self because people are going to get a pretty good impression of what it's going to be like to work with you. I think this totally applies in the hiring front. You need to approach talent acquisition, especially in highly competitive markets, 
with an idea for creating an amazing experience for candidates uh, at every touch point. What's the first reach out like? What's the screening like? What's the interviewing like? Everything ought to be a fantastic experience. Even if you don't make an offer to somebody, we want those candidates to say, wow, that was really a fantastic experience. And if you do make an offer, your new employee onboarding ought to be stellar. You, make, you need to welcome people in, make them feel like they're high impact, make them feel like they're special, make them feel like they understand where they fit and what success looks like. And you do all those things with this eye towards creating an experience that really gives them a sense of what it's going to be like when I'm working inside my company, delivering value to my customers. And if you do all of that right, uh, you get a little bit of a flywheel going and it starts to scale really nicely. You know what? You hit a nail on the head that I think some companies miss. And uh, just being that my background is focused around recruiting, like that uh, experience, that experience that you portray as a company when a candidate comes in for the first time, who who do they meet when they walk in the door, right? If it's, you know, a startup and there's no one out there, like, do they just sit down and they feel lost, right? So from that moment they walk in to the full life cycle of interviews to the point that you mentioned that maybe you don't even hire that person, but they should leave that process just being, you know, ecstatic that, wow, what a great experience. And maybe they'll come knocking again some other day. And I, you know, I'd love to talk to them again. And that, uh, recruitment brand carries so far in the market of others telling others, oh yeah, I, I interviewed there. It didn't work out, but it was amazing company and great people. So yeah, that that is so important these days. You also asked Keith about uh, values and culture. You know, companies' values, I think core values are incredibly important for a company. Uh, they're really important that you live by them, that you keep each other honest, that the way you treat each other, the way you make decisions. And most companies do this and do it pretty well. It's not about memorizing core values. It's actually about living them and recognizing them. But they don't change very often. They can change over, over time, longer periods of time. Uh, but they're pretty consistent. And I don't worry about, you know, do new employees change the values or not? I think we, we have a strong set of values. But culture, on the other hand, you mentioned culture. Culture is changing all the time. Culture is always changing. It's changing by who the people are in the company, what's the state of the market, what's the state of your competitors. There's so many things that change culture. So I like to think about new employees. Every new employee is additive to culture. It's not about fitting in the culture. It's about being additive. I mentioned this earlier. You know, new employees bring richness of ideas and experience and perspective. And the best thing you can do is take advantage of that to make your culture different and stronger, not necessarily fitting into the culture that exists on day one. That's all great points. Uh, the Boston tech scene's come along so far. There's so many great companies, WordStream being one of them. Are there any other companies that you think highly of that you're like, wow, what they're doing is pretty interesting or just other companies that you've been following? It's a great, great tech scene, of course. Everybody knows that. So I, I could cite, I guess, a lot of companies that people before me have probably cited or know. Uh, obviously, Nerge and Steve have done amazing things at Wayfair, totally disrupting a market, building a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, I really love uh, Muhammad over at Carbonite. And as a leader, he actually used to be a client of mine at C-Space. Uh, but now, you know, a great peer at a tech company in Boston and a great person. I, I thought I, I could call out a couple of people who are a little bit off the tech scene, but I think just important to the market in, in Boston. Mm -hmm. The guys who, who built Mass Challenge, uh, John Hawthorne and Akil back when he was in the business and Carl. 
Yeah. Great, also great entrepreneurs and built great organizations that have a huge impact. Uh, Ashley over at Love and Spoonfuls, who is a Mass Challenge alum, but doing great things uh, for the people in the city of Boston. Liz Powers and Art Lifting, mm -hmm. uh, doing incredible things for people who need a break and need an opportunity and has built an incredible organization over there. So those are people I really respect for what they're doing and the impact they're having on our city. Yeah, all amazing people, uh, each and every one of them. Uh, but I, I remember when John and Akil were going around just evangelizing the idea of mass challenge, you know, that's when the economy was just in the, you know, the dreads of after the financial crisis. And I just remember sitting down, listening to them do their PowerPoint. And I'm like, no way, no way is this ever going to work. Impossible. And what they've done with that program is really extraordinary. It's just amazing what they've done. Amazing for the entrepreneurs and just to see the community come together in a really special way. It's really powerful. Exactly. What do you like to do outside of, of work for fun? Uh, well, of course, I should start with my incredible, unbelievable wife, uh, who is an amazing partner. And so getting time to spend with her. I have two kids. They're both off in college. This is my first year as an empty nester. And this myth of tons of discretionary time for my wife and I to do all kinds of things hasn't really materialized yet <laughs> as uh, word streams kept me very busy. Uh, but that's all good things. And, uh, you know, being outside with the dog, kids are gone. So I obsess over the dog now. And uh, being outside, spending time with uh, the family and trying to do good in the community, be a positive part of the community. That's awesome. Well, at the end of these podcasts, I like to turn the mic over. Is there anything you'd like to uh, promote back to our audience? Uh, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, it's been great talking to you. Obviously, uh, WordStream is an amazing company. If you or someone in your family or a friend runs a small business and could use a little help from some experts in growing their business, advertising online. We'd love referrals. Uh, and of course, we're hiring across all parts of the company. So you want to join an amazing team. We'd love to have you here. But I'd love to give another pitch or two, if you don't mind, Keith. Yeah, feel free. Uh, another nonprofit that does incredible work in the city of Boston. It's called Boston Scores. I'm on the board. Uh, we help Boston Public School children, 1,500 of them every year, through all kinds of great programming centered in soccer, but also has a social entrepreneurship component to it and also has a literacy component to it. It's really, really great program. Makes a huge difference in the lives of many, many children who could use a little bit of help uh, because they grow up with lots of challenges right here in the city of Boston. And here's the amazing part, Keith. Here's the amazing part. If you at your company love to play soccer, do you love to play soccer? Lots of people do. You got a company soccer team. Sure. We hold this incredible charity soccer tournament every year. It takes place at Gillette Stadium. You can spend the entire day playing soccer on the field at Gillette, and you can do it for a good cause. And we'd love to have the tech companies in Boston rally around this idea. Go to bostonscores.org. It's called the Scores Cup. It'll be coming up this summer, and we'd love to have your company participate and do good for the city of Boston at the same time. That is an amazing opportunity to play Soccer where the New England Revolution play, and that, that would be phenomenal. It's a super cool experience. That's great. Well, great, great stuff. So 
Howard, thanks so much for taking the time. You know, as he mentioned, there's lots of opportunities to join the rocket ship of WordStream. You can certainly check out their uh, job opportunities on their biz page on VentureFizz or their own careers page. Um, but Howard, thanks so much for sharing your words of wisdom. This was great. We got lots of lots of great advice for other founders out there. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.